Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome back to season six Wow, have we got a lot in store for you this season. Stay tuned for this while we talk about the themes of this season as well as what we are up to. Enjoy. Hypnosis. Mindfulness. Meditation. Mama, This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How are you? Welcome to season six. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. You made it to season six. Thanks and for so being here on the journey. Yeah. We've been having an interesting, good time in our break this time. It never really feels like a break, does it? It did feel like a break for me this time because we didn't post anything a couple weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. But we've been getting ready for an amazing season six, which we're going to talk about later in the episode, which is great. Mm -hmm. How has the end of your summer been, Anna? The end of my summer has been really good. I guess we invested in ourselves when we did all the shadow work and primal wounds um, five seasons ago. So I don't know. I'm just, I had an easy summer, beautiful summer. Nice. And we're getting used to the school year and all that. Yeah. I can say that I, I, I feel like I see the primal wounds coming into my experience again, but I'm just like, Oh, that's just a primal wound. And I'm not like, I'm, I feel like I'm actually in a place where I can like have some perspective on it for sure. Yeah. But yeah. I started intermittent fasting today. How's that going? Good. Have you ever done it? I think I do it anyway. Cause I don't really eat between like seven and probably 10. Does that count the next morning? 7 PM and 10 AM the next day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a 15 hour fast. That's oh. awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, does it have to do with, it has to do with the fact that I forget to eat. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if that's really counts, if it counts in the same way, but yeah, it does. It does still probably have the same health benefits, whether you forget or it's intentional. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I accept that. I accept. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's going okay. How are you feeling? Well, I just started today. It's, it's nothing really. It just means that when I first wake up at six, I'm going to have an Americano, like a modified Americano. I'm going to throw a shot of cold coffee into some hot water. 
Because okay. I need that caffeine to get me going because I've got to be caffeinated by the time I wake my kids up at 6.30. Like I cannot approach them without caffeine in my system or they will kill me. <laughs> they will They will win the war and I will fail at all things patience, parenthood. Anyways, but I realized I can make this work because coffee, black coffee is still considered fasting. Yeah. So it's still considered a clean fast. So I'll just drink the hot coffee and then I do my fun little drinks later. I just have to delay them, not deny them. Gotcha. And then come five o'clock, I'm done eating until the next day at 9 a.m. Okay. And what are the health benefits of intermittent fasting? There are three. Funny you should say, because oh. we weren't planning on talking about this, but I wrote, I took notes from the book I read. The three benefits of intermittent fasting as they looked at humans and mice studies, right? Well, first of all, with mice, they found that rates of cancer decrease and the mice live longer. And then with humans, like, I don't know if they were studying it long enough to know, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to study, but the three things they can say for sure that it does is one, it helps regulate insulin. Number two, it helps you burn off your fat reserves, which in a lot of places you have visceral fat, which is the fat that's between your organs. I don't know if you know the difference between visceral fat. Do you know about visceral fat? I don't know. It's like the fat that exists between your organs. Like we had to dissect cadavers for school. When you like cut it open to somebody and like between their intestines and their pancreas and the liver and all this, there's like fat. Okay. So it's decreasing this fat, which is kind of hard to get to, you know? Yeah. So it, and it also just aesthetically, it'll decrease fat in other places that you want. Right. So that's number two. And then the third thing is it's called autophagy, which is where the cell, a lot of internal things happen on a cellular letter, level with where the cell eats itself. But like things start to happen on a cellular level when you're fasting that are really good for health. And I, I, I sped listen to this book. It went really fast. So I can't remember exactly what the autophagy thing was, but it was good for your health. <laughs> right. Interesting. And so is intermittent fasting better than regular fasting? Like regular, like longer periods of fasting? Like, you mean like, that, like they do with in religions, like, you know, Ramadan and stuff oh, like oh. that. So there's two different types of fasting. One would be like intermittent fasting where you have these time periods, like I'm going to feast for five hours and fast for 19 hours. Or like what you're doing is the 15, eight, I'm pretty much doing it at 15, eight as well. And then you have the kind of fasting where you just eat normally. And then you pick a day or two a week that you fast. So, but I don't know if the health benefits in that situation are any better. My intuition is telling me that it's going to differ from person to person, but for most people, it's probably not good to just do it all in one day. It just seems mentally and emotionally more stressful, but if it works for someone great, right? Like I guess any fasting is better than no fasting disclaimer. If you clear it with your doctor and your intuition. Yeah. I would say if I were to bring human design into this, I would say it had probably has a lot to do with which one's better is based on whether or not you have active or passive digestion, which is not something we're going to talk about, but if you know something about human design, I would do that. So yeah. Yeah. And we're not going to talk about Ayurveda either, but in Ayurveda, my guess is people with primarily kapha body types would do better with like the full day fast versus the daily fast, but we're not going to talk about that. And I don't even know (laughs) why we're not talking about any of this guys. You guys, we're gaslighting you now in the sixth season. (laughs) 
is it gaslighting or is it just I don't know I'm I'm joking because but. we keep saying we're not going to talk about it but then we keep talking about it so oh right exactly well anyways I'm starting it I'm going to do it for 28 days at the end of 28 days if I feel good I will continue and if I don't I will not but mm. I still whatever it's just for fun really I'm always <laughs> I'm always trying to improve it was funny I asked my kids I said on a scale of zero to ten how am I doing as a mom and my son said 10 out of 10. I said, it's great. And I said to my daughter, what am I? She goes, 10 out of 10. She goes, but I know you like to improve on things. So I'm going to say nine out of 10. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> I go, how do I get that extra one point? She goes, take me to Starbucks tomorrow. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite the, that's quite the insight she has there. No, <laughs> I mean, she, I think she was trying to say non-verbally, indirectly, show me my language of love, which is quality time one-on-one. That's, that's how I interpreted it. And if I'm just a pushover, then I might be, but at least I'm a 10 out of 10. That's amazing. I think my kids would just look at me like I was crazy if I asked them that. So well, I have them rate food. You don't do that with food. No, I never ask them. Do you like the food? Cause that's just like a disaster. Children shouldn't, I, I my theory is never ask a child if they like it because yeah. That, that brings in a whole bunch of uh, rejection food stuff. I just say, how is that on a scale of zero to 10? And if it's less than a seven, I won't make it again. But the point is, it makes them think, like, what is it missing? What do I like better versus a flat out yes or no? Like it becomes a scale versus a binary yes, no. And so yes. it gives me room for improvement and them to actually eat it. Anyways, so they're no, used to I, that because if it's a new recipe, like give me a, a ranking. I do the same thing with days. But it's funny how you do a quantitative scale scale and I do a qualitative scale. I do thumbs up and then you can do anything in between, right? So there's thumbs up, which is 10, which is up totally good and thumbs down, which is totally bad. And then there's all these things in between. And then what we do is we like average out. So you know, she's she's rotating her, her, her thumb in like a 180 degree. Yeah. Yeah. So we do the same thing. So if, if like three people have had a good day and one person's had a bad day, then like it kind of cancels out and it becomes overall a good day or two people had a bad day and one person had a good day. So it's an interesting thing. And we're always trying to aim on helping everybody have a good day. Oh, I like that. It's just awareness of like how other people's like what other things right. affected everybody else's day. So we're talking about a lot of things in this season. Uh, it's so funny. And a lot of ways, season five was our kind of recovery season, which you're going to talk about later in this episode. But before we get into that, I thought that I came up with a couple of prelude topics that I thought would be very interesting for us to kind of like briefly talk about, because I feel like in a lot of ways they have to do with injustice. The first one is the fact that there are these guys, and this happened a little while ago, but there were these guys, Damian Real and Noah Rubin, and they basically, what they did was they are musicians and they decided that what they wanted to do was to copyright every single possible melody that could ever happen and then put it into the public domain. So I know that it's a really, really interesting thing because people are always accusing other people of copywriting. And the thing with music is that when you, as soon as you record it, it's copyrighted, right? Like, so in case y'all don't know anything about copyright, like as soon as you record it, it is copyrighted. And so then there's, you know, there's a lot of collaboration and creative commons licenses. There's a lot of things that make it so that we can kind of remix and sample different things. But in general, by doing this, 
they made it so that no one can ever claim that anyone stole their music because in theory, every song that ever could have been written has now been written in terms of a melody. And so no one can actually claim ownership over a single melody. So is this like a good thing or a bad thing for artists? So that's the question. That's the real question here, because I think that if someone comes up with an absolutely stunning and beautiful melody and they and they pour their hearts out into creating this, you know, I think that especially if it's used as an excuse to not give someone not give someone royalties or they can't survive as an artist. I feel like that's a very negative part of this is that, you know, if someone, if an artist is actually denied royalties or something as a result of this, then that is a very bad thing. I think the very good thing about this is that to their point, the original art, the original people who did this is that eventually every single song will be written. Right. And why make it so that studios and big business can basically stop or own certain melodies that shouldn't be owned that shouldn't be that you know that that basically like stop make it so that everything is is out there so that you can kind of be ultimately creative without the fear of ownership i feel like it's one of those movies where it's like if this got in the wrong hands it it does feel like that it does feel like that and it's a weird thing too because it's in the public domain right so I don't know. I, it kind of reminds me as like, you know, I don't know. I think I, energetically when I look at it, I feel a really big thing in the collective unconscious as to a matter of injustice about this because of the fact that ownership is sometimes the only way that an artist can make money on something is that ownership. Right. But then at the same time, I'm kind of like, isn't this just for the better? Because like, so much of the problems that we have is possession and ownership, right? Like so many of the problems we have are as a result of that. Do the guy, these guys, did they do it with the idea of helping to save the artists from exploitation or they did it to kind of scam them? Like the little boy who, when the internet came out, no one else had a clue, a little like eight-year-old or 10-year-old bought pepsi.com and he ended up selling the domain for millions. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. But it's it, it feels like something like, is it something like that? Or is it actually like a, a good thing, a humanitarian move? I think if you see that the, the movement of the world right now, it does seem as if big business is trying to take all the power away from the artists. And this feels like this is an artist move to maybe stop that from happening. So I don't think this is like the little boys. I think that in general, they see that in the TED talk, they, they generally seem to think that they are being benevolent in this action. So it's, it's interesting. I'd love to hear what anybody has to say if they want to write us. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. You had a second prelude for us, actually. This is the triple prelude, even if you call my intermittent fasting one. I, I did, least. but I don't think I should do it. Okay, no, I'll do it. The second thing that I just wanted to point out was just something to highlight this beautiful song that I've been, has been stuck inside my head actually for quite some time. Funny enough, it's like not in my head right now, but it's this beautiful song that is going viral in trauma talk and things along those lines. But it's a song, it's called The Missing Stare. And it's by this, these group, this group of women, uh, Phoebe Hunt, Bonnie Sims and Melody Walker, who call themselves the Silo Sisters. And this is a really interesting concept called the missing stare because it was first coined by a, a blogger named Cliff 
Pervocracy. That's a very interesting name. I'm sure there's probably a much nicer way of saying it. But the missing stare, it was coined in 2012, describing a harasser or other type of toxic person who is tolerated in a community. It's a metaphor modeled after a missing stare in a house that everyone is familiar with. And it's it's a really, really haunting and beautiful song. They recorded it in a silo with like just a, you know, just the three instruments, just a mandolin and a guitar and a violin and their voices and harmony. And it's really beautiful. So here are some of the lyrics. It says, so we whisper, so we warn, so we won't burn down the house where we were born. Is there a monster hidden there? Tell me why we won't repair the missing stare. And so... To me, I feel like this is really also pulls into this idea of voice and like using your voice. Like it's an interesting paradigm in the sense that the missing stare is the thing that everybody knows is there, but nobody talks about. And them even creating a song called The Missing Stare is this idea of using the throat, like using their absolutely beautiful voices to be able to to look into the space of like, what does it feel like for us to actually talk about the missing stairs, like the people who exist in these families who are just allowed to exist and everybody doesn't talk about them. And by not talking about them, you know, it's, it's very clear in those lyrics. It says, you know, so we whisper, so we warn, so we don't burn down the house where we were born. This idea that if you actually out and use your voice to talk about the people who are bad, then you're going to burn down your house right? Because you're going to destroy your family if you take out one of the key members of the family, even if that key member of the family is abusive. So there's a lot with injustice there and also this idea of using the voice. So. Yeah. What brought that up for you? Like why? I just love the song. (laughs) Yeah. And the song, it talks about like this missing stare at the bottom of the basement steps or something. And then like, that the whole family just knows it's there and everyone knows to like step over the stair. And um, when I heard the song, I was like, why don't they fucking repair the stair? I didn't know that the missing stair was like code for, mm. you know, it's code for that person. It's code for that yeah. person. And and that's the entire idea, right? Is that like everyone just refuses to admit that it's completely affecting everything. And I think that that's, That's one of the things that we realize as we move up through the shadow chakras, as we move up into our throat chakra, which sits just above our heart center, right? Is that we start to recognize that there comes a point where our acceptance of things that are harmful to ourselves and others is really not necessarily a state that we're okay with living with, right? You know, I can say that in my journey through the primal wounds, it's been fascinating. I had to go through two or three before I actually recognized that, you know, two or three cycles of going through all of them and kind of processing it before I could even address what I would call the elephants in my room, right? Like the really big ones, the ones that you're just like, oh, that's just so big. I can't do anything. It was like my missing stare. Right. And so, you know, as, as we go into the season, we'll see what that looks like. So if you've been listening to our podcast from the beginning, or if you go back and listen to the beginning, you'll you'll start to notice that we have some themes like this is a serial podcast. We are trying to go in a sequential order that is being channeled through Archangel Michael of like sequential healing. Like there's a, there's a method to our madness. So in the first season, it was kind of like a baseline. Like what does a spiritual journey look like? What are the different types of ways that you can walk on this spiritual path, et cetera. And then we sequentially went through different chakras and then their corresponding shadow chakra which is their primal wound 
and then their corresponding like he- healing or or yoga we'd call it. So we talked about in previous seasons we talked about the first chakra and how that related to the humiliation womb and how that related to different types of yoga and we kind of went through them one by one and we are now at the heart chakra because we've done the first second third and we're on the fourth chakra now. So Chris, are we on the throat or the heart? We are on the heart. We are talking about the heart chakra and rejection. That's what we're going to be talking about this season and in this episode. Okay. So it doesn't even matter that our prelude was about injustice because injustice is about rigidity and we're not going to be rigid. We're just going <laughs> to flow with this conversation Holy and go right shit. back where we need to be, which is at the heart of the matter, which is the heart chakra. So we're at the heart chakra. So Christina, please inform our beautiful listeners about the heart chakra what it means and what its corresponding shadow chakra is. I'll be happy to tell you about the heart chakra, Anna. So the heart chakra, it sits in the place in the middle of our chest and it is the Anahata chakra. And it is the bridge. This is the great bridge between the lower third and the upper chakras because those lower third are very survival based. Those one, two, and three, you know, we have... It's all about the physical body. It's all about the emotional body that sits in that second second chakra. And then that power center, that control center that sits inside of the third chakra, that solar plexus. And the heart is like, yo, I'm here to combine both of them. And the Anahata chakra, it, Anahata means unstruck because the idea is that it is the balancing energy it's basically this balancing energy between what's coming down from heaven and what's coming up from our full embodied experience. So, you know, it's unstruck. It strikes me that unstruck is such an incredibly beautiful way of describing the, this entire experience. So the heart chakra It is called unstruck because of this idea that it is unbroken. It is, it is unhurt. It is sitting in between all of these different things. And it's this beautiful combination between these two. It's also the longest distance. So in Kundalini yoga, one of the things they do is they have you put your fingers out and your finger is between like basically stretching your, your hand between your pinky and your thumb, kind of like in a surfer's like what's up hang time sort of view. And they say that that is the longest distance between two points, or that's basically the farthest distance that there is because it's the distance between your solar plexus and your heart chakra is that distance on your hand. And it is in many yogic practices, the furthest distance to go between the third chakra and the heart chakra, that fourth chakra. The heart chakra is responsible for the storage and distribution of prana. So the life force energy that flows through our bodies, as well as for maintaining um, the air element in our system. It is because it's located in the center of our chest, close to our physical heart. It is closely connected to our heart and our lungs, our thymus gland, as well as regulating the flow of energy in this area of the body. It is represented by the color green and the chakra image that you get is 12 petals, which symbolize the 12 sounds that come from the rotation of the chakra. And the green color is a reflection of the combination of the fire from below that comes from that solar plexus and the sky above that comes from the throat. There are two triangles 
um, that create a six-pointed star, which represent the dualities of like and dislike. And the seed mantra of the uh, heart chakra is yam, uh, yam being the sound that you can evoke if you would like to um, start to resonate the heart chakra. Um, one of the things about uh, the heart chakra that you can kind of understand when you are balanced and activated in this space is that you'll be feeling unconditional love and respect for others. You're having healthy relationships with no attachments or addictions, experiencing peace and joy in within, regardless of external conditions, forming deep and meaningful connections with others effortlessly, trusting others and feeling comfortable with vulnerability, and then feeling content and at ease with oneself. It's it's one of these really key things for how are you feeling good and balanced in the world because it is the balance of what's coming from above and what's coming from below. What happens, what it feels like when your heart chakra is blocked is you have a fear of rejection, which speaks to that rejection wound. You have a lack of trust in a committed relationship. You have issues with giving and receiving affection, over-dependency in a relationship, distant behavior. So a lot of counterintuitive and fugitive action, tough and unemotional appearance while feeling vulnerable, as well as you may have physical symptoms such as heart palpitations, poor blood circulation, heart pain, angina, as well as possibly asthma. So those are different aspects of the heart chakra. Now onto the rejection wound, which is one of those really, really difficult wounds. Um, I say that from my own experience, but the, the, the shadow chakra of the heart is the rejection wound and the rejection wounds mask that you most often see is the fugitive because the rejection wound sits in that place of avoidance and counter dependence, right? That idea of, I don't need anybody or anything. And when you're showing and experiencing the rejection wound, you either have a tendency to be incredibly sensitive to other people rejecting you, or you have a tendency to reject people before they can reject you. Or you have a tendency to just simply be fugitive. I know the kind of best example I can think of of someone who actively had a rejection wound, never showed up for anything. They always had a reason to not be present. And, and you know, when they were present, they were incredible, but most of the time you couldn't get them to show up anywhere. They were always kind of wanting to be elsewhere or always had something on conveniently and were never present. Anna, why don't you tell us about the yoga of the heart? Okay. So we channeled through Archangel Michael that each chakra has a corresponding yoga, like a yoga that a practice, like a lot of people think yoga is, Oh, yoga is that place at my gym where you go sweat and stretch. But like, there's so many different paths of yoga. There's, there's karma yoga that, which is action. There's bhakti yoga, which is surrender. There's jhana yoga, which is intellectual thinking. There's hatha yoga, which is what you see when you see poses and warrior pose and sphinx pose and all those things. Like there are different yogas, meaning there are different paths, right? And the path that corresponds to the heart, as we were told, is karma yoga. And I love that it is so fucking fitting because the practice of karma yoga is the practice of selfless action. The idea is that you are going to serve others. And what I love so much about that and why it's so healing to the rejection wound, because when you do karma yoga, you are selflessly giving, but you are expecting nothing in return, not even acceptance. And I think the crux of the issues for people with a rejection wound is that they often do everything, hoping that they will be rejected or avoid rejection from others, right? So when you have selfless action, karma yoga, 
you are doing the correct action and then you're kind of surrendering it to the universe as what well, you may or may not get any outcome. You may or may not get any results. You may or not may not lead to people liking you or not liking you, but you stop worrying about the outcome. And I think that ultimately the rejection moon is very, very concerned with the outcomes of their behavior and their actions. Right. So let me talk a little bit more about karma yoga. Yeah. I, can I just say something real quick about that? I think yeah. it's, it's interesting to distinguish that from the abandonment wound, which is like, you could say abandonment and rejection are very kind of similar, but they're almost in different spaces, right? Like it's like rejection is a very, is like what happens. Like it's like the difference between going to someone's house and having them slam the door in your face versus going to someone's house and like being allowed and invited in and then being, and then basically like being asked to leave. Right. So rejection being like having the door slammed in your face, whereas like abandonment is when you're like allowed to go in and you're allowed to feel safe. And then someone just leaves or you're asked to leave or something like that. Can you see the kind of difference in the sense that they're similar? What? Yeah. One's passive and one's active. Right. And they also represent the two sides of anxious attachment versus avoidant attachment. Right. So anxious being that codependent one that sits in the abandonment wound. And on the other side of that, you can see the avoidant, which is which is the rejection wound. It's like totally the rejection wound. And then the betrayal kind of can look at, look like both because it's all about control. So yeah, that's, and and also it's the paintbrush. It's like the paint color you're choosing to paint the situation. Like I could easily perceive a situation as being abandoned. Someone else might be rejected, right? Like, Oh, a parent dies. One child might feel rejected by that parent. The other one might feel abandoned. One might feel, oh, what an injustice. I don't have a parent. One would be betrayed. Oh, the universe betrayed me. Parenthood betrayed me. There's just, the point is the same action can lead to totally different interpretations too. So yeah. it's not it's not always like so cut and clear. Yeah. Anyways, going more into karma yoga, what is karma yoga? Karma yoga is about purifying the heart chakra, the heart, through counter by counteracting egoism. It involves the dedication of work as an offering with no thought of personal reward. There are four principles to karma yoga. One is right attitude. One is right motive. One is surrendering the results. And one is service to the self in all, right? So we are detached from the outcome. It's a lot about service. Like a great example would be if you took the soul type quiz from Ainsley McLeod's website, which I'll put in the show notes and you see what kind of soul type you are. If you get the philanthropist or the caregiver, you have a lot of karma yoga, right? Like the caregiver is going to really go down the path of karma yoga of, Mm -hmm. of wanting to serve others. And basically this is the yoga path where you choose to serve others as your yoga. How does it apply to like my everyday life? Well, a great example could be that, you know, your spouse forgot to put their shoes in the closet and you selflessly put their shoes in the closet without bitterness, without remorse, without an, I told you so you, you serving your fellow, your spouse, or you see a homeless person in the street and you, and you go buy them lunch, but you do it selfless, selflessly without needing to post it on social media or tell your friends about it. You, you see what I'm saying? It, yeah. There's like ways that you can take this wisdom and make that your spiritual practice. Like sometimes when I clean my house, I consider that to be my karma yoga. Like 
I'm cleaning my house to, to, to take care of my family, to put love into my home. Right. And it's going to get undone five minutes after everyone comes through the front door. So I'm trying to detach from the outcome. Right. But you can see how you can apply that practice into your everyday life. Anyways. Yeah. When I did my yoga teacher training, that was one of the things I really appreciated about the holistic nature of my yoga tra- teacher training. I did it at Kashi Ashram in, in Atlanta and karma yoga was a requirement of karma yoga hours, 200 hours. And so what they did was the ashram itself had a street meals program. So what I would do, and I'd bring my kids along and we'd make sandwiches and we'd make the meal every, every week um, for basically the whole time that I was doing that. So, you know, it's a really wonderful practice, especially if you're studying yoga, especially if yoga is something that you are doing, but also to just pull into your life in any, in any way that you want to, in any way that you need to. Yeah. And then the other thing we wanted to talk about today was basically the plans for season six, just to give you a little teaser of what to expect. We're going to wrap up the money wound, which we started in season five. So if you haven't listened to the second to the last episode in season five, it's about the money wound part one, go listen to that because you need some time to kind of digest it, to be ready for the rest of the episodes. And then what are we tackling next, Christina? And then we're going to the primal wounds, y'all. We're going to go back. And it's been five seasons now since we've done it. And those, those episodes were kind of what made it so that a lot of people started listening to the podcast. So we've learned a lot about the primal wounds. I know I've learned so much about how they've shown up and kind of evolved the way that I think about them. And I know you have too, Anna. And so we're going to be going back into the primal wounds and kind of updating them with what we feel like we've learned about each of them since how they've shown up in our different, in our lives in different ways, how we have different stories about them. And we're also going to be adding a really interesting other thing of interviewing our listeners about their experience with the primal wounds between the episodes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to, I don't know if you can ever finish astrology, but I'm going to address a few more astrology episodes. So we're going to look at some of the other planets we haven't targeted yet. And we're also going to do some predictive astrology so that you can kind of predict life cycle changes. That's fascinating. I did not know. I mean, I guess that makes sense that you can do that. That's really cool. So does it like have to do with like with predictive astrologies that have to do with like the transits that are happening right now and that are due to happen and how they interact with your chart sort of thing. Right. Yes. Like it's about how the different planets interact with what you already have. And then like Saturn, you know, you talk about your Saturn return. Well, Saturn returns multiple times in your lifetime. So what kind of themes are you going to see come up based on where it's coming back? Things like that. Awesome. Awesome. And then one of the other things that we're going to be looking at is that I am going to be talking about villains. The villains are kind of related to the primal wounds. They're also related to the Enneagram, which is something that we haven't actually talked about, even though we've referred to it many different times. And I am excited to talk about the villains because for this fall, I've been writing a book all summer, and then I'm going to be doing a group cohort So on using the villains as kind of the basis for that. So those episodes are going to happen later in the season. And we're going to be, I'll be running another cohort in the spring closer to when that those episodes will air. But if you are enticed at all by what I'm saying right now, knowing that we're kind of touching the primal wounds, like come to my website, 
www.chriswilty.com and sign up for my newsletter and you will get all of the information about how you can be in this group cohort, which is going to be small at first and be able to meet your fellow TSF listeners. Cause I know there's going to be TSF listeners in that group cohort. So that's kind of yes. exciting. Yeah. So that's what we have in store. I'm really hoping you give us an Enneagram episode. Would I you, really want to request gonna be, it. <laughs> it's going to be the Enneagram episode is going to be part of the villain series. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause so. I really love that. Okay. I'm the, I'm the romantic, right? Yeah. And that helps me so much in life just from what you've told me. Cause I'll be like, Oh, well, I'm just seeing it that way. Cause I'm a fucking romantic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. And, and I do the same thing. I'm, I'm a six in the Enneagram. So I am all about like risk management and things like that. The thing is, is that's interesting is, is that you can shift around in the Enneagram. It isn't like you're settled on something for the rest of your life. And it's the same thing with like not being settled on a wound as your primary wounds, like you can move through them in the same way. And so the villain is kind of the embodiment of what all those different interactions look like, as well as the understanding that in so many ways, we have these inner villains that work against us, you know, whether you want to call them demons, whether you want to call them villains, like we, we can refer to them as a number of different things, but they're kind of the voices inside your head that are constantly telling you that you can't. And that are giving you limiting beliefs and they are active and they are, they have an intelligence about them, very similar to how we've Mm -hmm. described demons in the past. And they can show up in many different ways. Sometimes they're purely internalized. Sometimes they show up as different levels on the drama triangle. And sometimes they are out and out villains. Sometimes it is like the worst part of us that's showing up in the world. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting thing. I think Buddha calls them enemies, right? But he has yeah. a different definition. Anyways. Yeah. And then um, the last thing I wanted to talk about in this episode, Archangel Michael wanted me to tell you guys is that a lot of our episodes discuss either shadow processes or light processes. So shadow processes are shadow work processes where we really get to the dirty, gritty, uncomfortable stuff. And we... I don't want to say heal it or discard it or even recycle it. We we come to love it. We come to understand it. We come to shed light on it. We come to become present with it or feed it, right? And so those, those kind of painful, nitty-gritty processes are called shadow work. And then we have light work. And those are more like making you shine brighter, raising up your vibration. And there's other practices that do that too. It's really important, I think, for everyone to have different tools in your bag that are both shadow work and light work. Like people who only do light work become toxic positivity people, spiritual bypassy people. And people who only do shadow work can just be a drag to hang around, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's not the whole reason. But it's like all they want to talk about is their fucking process and their fucking right. shadow. And you're like, okay, okay, can we have fun too? You know, this is life. Yeah, but it's a it's a constant process of wanting to fix yourself, right? Right. But like, but like there's a back and forth and a back and forth. And we want you to have both. So we just want to put it out there that a lot of our episodes and seasons, if you pay attention to the episodes within our seasons, is we kind of go, have been going back and forth between shadow and light and shadow and light and shadow. And like we were really heavy on some shadow work. So last season, like we kind of didn't go too deep last season. And and that was on purpose, I think, because we were fucking exhausted from all the other father wound, mother wound, primal wound stuff. But anyways, here we are back in season six, ready to do a light work, shadow work, light work, shadow work, (laughs) domino thing again, versus just being like, you know, process. Yeah. 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 
Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. If you are interested in that group cohort that I mentioned, you can go to www.chriswilty.com and put in your interest or you can send us an email at this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.